This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 81, December 27th, 2009. We're all, wait... Bernard and Jin and Saeed, they're with you? Yeah, dude, I told you, I saved them all. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I am Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we both hope you're all having a great holiday season. Yeah, we're, we're having a great one. Yeah, we're certainly living it up. And you might hear from both of our voices, we're just on the verge of getting the traditional winter bug. But hopefully we'll survive this podcast because we're glad to be wrapping up our season three review just in time for the new year. And of course, the next and last season of Lost. Speaking of the season six premiere, we wanted to give you an update on the planned Sunset on the Beach advanced Mm -hmm. screening in Waikiki on January 30th. Even though the blogosphere erupted two weeks ago with the news, it was only officially confirmed last week by the mayor and city officials. Of course, a lot of fans didn't wait, and we already know of over two dozen folks who are coming for the event. They're flying in from all over as far away as Tokyo, Ireland, Italy, Turkey, and Afghanistan, and of course, from across the country. There's a pretty good chance chance our friends jay and jack will be here colleen will definitely be here as will joe of joe opinionated karen of karen's last notes lots of listeners including sean denise chris janine rena allison paul bonnie and many many more and even my mom will be flying out from oh Florida. Oh my, yes. When the in-laws get involved, you know it's a big deal. Now, we heard from so many people, in fact, that it became obvious that we needed to do something special with all of our lost friends, both here in Honolulu and from afar. So I hooked up with my friend Bruce. He's a travel agent and podcaster here in Hawaii. And along with a couple of professional event planners and tour guides, we're going to put together a special lost travel package. So that'll have airfare and accommodations, and that'll be at the Park Shore Waikiki key which is literally right across the street from the giant screen on waikiki beach we'll also be doing a special dinner on friday night and a fun brunch the day of the beach premiere Mm -hmm. and after the gala event we will be doing our first probably only (laughs) ryan and jen lost locations tour around the island on sunday Mm -hmm. god help us eight hours (laughs) of lost geekery with fellow hardcore fans it'll be a big lost road trip with us and, you know, we're not professional tour guides, but for once, nope. maybe it'll be a good thing if we get lost. Ba-dum-bum. Yes, exactly. Now, you can find all the details on what we've dubbed the Destiny Calls Tour on the web, including a la carte event prices if you're going to be making your own travel or hotel arrangements. Now, I'm pretty sure you can just Google Lost Travel Package. Otherwise, just check out the link on our blog at whatyup.com slash lost. It'll be great if you can make this once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage to join us on the island. But if not, of course, there'll be a lot of great coverage online. Now, back to our regularly scheduled 
little podcast. Up next, we'll quickly recap the two-part season three finale of Lost through the Looking Glass, and then we'll share our thoughts. Then we'll hear your feedback on the episode in You All, Everybody. We'll tell you our plan for our last hiatus podcast in January, where, as promised, we'll be giving away a ton of great Lost prizes. Mm -hmm. We'll hear another fun song from the Others Lost band. And finally, we'll cover the last week of Lost production of 2009 in the Ford Cabin. Sounds like fun. You ready? Let's get lost. All right. At long last, here we are at the season three finale of Lost Through the Looking Glass. Let's go. On the island, Saeed, Jin, and Bernard prepare for the ambush as Jack and Danielle lead the survivors and Naomi toward the transmission tower. Ben's people come into the camp, and while Saeed and Bernard set off their dynamite, Jin misses and they're captured. Ben tells Tom to kill Jin, scaring Bernard into spilling the beans on Jack's plan and Carl's betrayal. Ben then tells Albert to lead everyone else to the temple and takes Albert. Alex with him to intercept Jack. Meanwhile, in the looking glass, Charlie says he's there to turn off the jamming signal, but the women tell him that he needs to know the code. They call Ben, and Ben tells them to sit tight, and he sends Mikhail. Jack and friends hear the two explosions and suspect something went wrong, but Jack says they have a plan and should move on it. Sawyer says he's going back to the beach, but stops Kate from joining him. Juliet tags along, though, saying she can find some guns, but only after kissing Jack goodbye. Hmm. Desmond comes to on the canoe just in time to get shot at by Mikhail. He dives down to the looking glass and hides, and when Mikhail shows up and asks about him, Charlie says that he should instead ask Ben why he lied about the station or why he's jamming their own signals. Ben does tell him that it was Jacob's plan and that he needs to kill Charlie and the women. Ben tells Alex that he's delivering her to her new family because she betrayed him. He said he just didn't want Carl to get her pregnant. Meanwhile, Jack defends Sawyer to Kate, and when she asks why, Jack says it's because he loves her. And deep in the jungle, Locke wakes up in the skeleton pit, and Walt appears and tells him he's got work to do. Trekking back to the beach, Juliet tells Sawyer that, oh, she lied about the guns. Hurley shows up and says he wants to help, but Sawyer sends him back, telling him he'll just get in the way. As Jack and friends near the transmission tower, Ben appears and asks to talk to Jack alone. Ben says, Naomi is one of the bad guys and that everyone will be killed. Ben tells Jack that if he can get to the satellite phone, they can go their separate ways, but Jack refuses. Ben then radios Tom and tells him to kill Saeed, Jin, and Bernard in one minute. Jack still refuses and three shots ring out. Jack beats Ben to a bloody pulp and Danielle and Alex meet for the first time as they tie him up. How touching. In the looking glass, Mikhail shoots Greta and Bonnie, but Bonnie shoots Mikhail with a spear gun. Before Bonnie dies, she tells Charlie the code is good vibrations as it was programmed by a musician. On the beach, we discover that Saeed, Jin, and Bernard are still alive and that it was part of Ben's plan. As Sawyer and Juliet try to figure out what to do, Hurley barrels out of the jungle at the wheel of a Dumbermobile running over an other. Saeed snaps the neck of another other, and although Tom surrenders, Sawyer shoots him for taking Walt. Hurley gets on the walkie and tells Jack that everyone's fine, but that Charlie's not back yet. Underwater, Charlie shuts off the jamming signal and makes contact with Penny, but she doesn't know anything about Naomi or a boat. Mikhail suddenly appears with a grenade outside the station and detonates it. Charlie locks himself in the room as it begins to flood and writes a message to Desmond, not Penny's boat. He then crosses himself and drowns. Naomi notices the satellite phone is working again and tells Claire that Charlie got them rescued, but 
But Rousseau's transmission is still blocking the signal. They get to the broadcast tower and Jack and Danielle shut it down. Ben tells Jack he's making a mistake as Naomi starts to call her boat. But she's hit by a knife in the back thrown by Locke. Ben tells Locke to shoot Jack, but Danielle knocks him out. Locke tells Jack to stop or he'll kill him. But he can't pull the trigger. He tells Jack that he's not supposed to do this. Jack still makes contact with the boat and tells them that they're survivors of Oceanic Flight 815. They say they're on the way and the survivors celebrate. Off the island, we see a bearded Jack drinking on an Oceanic Airlines flight. They hit some turbulence, but nothing happens. Jack notices an obituary in the newspaper and rips it out. Later, he's driving through Los Angeles and pulls over on a bridge, but just as he's about to jump off, there is a car crash, and he runs to help. Jack gets stitched up, and a pregnant Sarah shows up. She asks if he's drinking again, and he asks for a ride home. She refuses and leaves. Jack then goes to check on the woman that was hurt in the crash and tells the head of surgery, Rob, that he wants to operate. But Rob says that Jack's done enough already and sends him home. Jack goes to the Hofstrahler funeral parlor to discover that nobody came for the viewing. When asked if he's friend or family, Jack says neither. He downs his last pill and goes to the pharmacy, but they refuse to give him more, and he storms out. Jack then steals drugs from the hospital, and Rob finds him staggering around. Rob tells Jack that the woman who crashed had seen someone about to jump off the bridge and asks what Jack was doing there. Jack says Rob has no idea what he's been through. Rob asks if Jack has been drinking, and Jack says, Call my father, and if he's more drunk than I am, you can fire me. That night, Jack is at home, surrounded by maps, and he makes a phone call. He says they need to meet up at the airport. He drives to the end of a runway, and Kate arrives in her Volvo. She says she saw him on the news and asks why he called. He shows her the obituary and says that he'd hoped that she'd go to the funeral. She asks, why would I go to the funeral? Jack says that he's been flying a lot on the Golden Pass that they gave him, flying every Friday night to Tokyo or Singapore or Sydney, and that he wants the plane to crash so he can get back. He says he's sick of lying and that they were not supposed to leave. She says that they were and turns to go away. Jack says, we have to go back, Kate. We have to go back. And And thud. And that's the two-part season finale of Lost in significantly under eight minutes. We'll take a short break and I'll clear my throat and we'll come back to share our thoughts on this episode. We can't wait to share our thoughts on the Season 3 finale of Lost and get to your feedback in You All Everybody. But first, we wanted to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from that you can download and play back anywhere, anytime, on your iPod while you're sitting at your desk, um, just like the transmission. And thanks to Audible.com, you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Now, you know Lost is a very literate show. It includes mentions of many books, and there are other books that can deepen your understanding and appreciation of the show. Audible.com is a great way to dive into them, and Jen, I think you read a book Mm -hmm. that you thought tied to Lost quite a bit. Yeah, it's called A Prayer for Owen Meany. It's by John Irving. It's narrated by Joe Barrett. And the reason I picked this book is because I predict it will show up on the show in season six. It hasn't, but you see a lot of reason why it might. Um, a character finds himself in a situation that's that of uh, it's quite similar to that of a certain Scotsman that we really like a lot. Mm-hmm. The book is about free will and fate and destiny and how people affect their own destiny. It's a really beautiful book. It's 
got a lot to do with religion. There's a lot of symbolism. And another thing that ties it to Lost is a lot of the action occurs during a production of A Christmas Carol, which is written by Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. And Charles Dickens happens to be the favorite author of the aforementioned Scotsman. Yeah, so and it's a very good book because I come across you toward the end and you're just bawling your eyes out. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It was a beautiful book and a great pick, and you can make it your free pick with this offer. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. All right, so here we are at the end of our return to season three of Lost with the season three finale Through the Looking Glass. How did you like it this time around? I loved it. I, I really did. I was spoiled the first time. Yes. I I ran across the spoiler on ran the internet. Ran across the spoiler. Okay. I told you, don't look, don't look, don't look. And then I came home that day and you're like, I read it. <laughs> I know. And I hated myself afterward. So the initial impact wasn't what I thought it would be. And watching it the second time, there were a lot of things that I hadn't really noticed before. And so it really gave me a new appreciation. Yeah, I mean, now it, now everybody's in the boat that we were that fateful day where we saw the snake in the mailbox, that fantastic last scene. But now, this time around, we know what the big twist is. So the question was, how does the episode hold up? And I thought it was a pretty good episode. Yes, I mean, very. just all the way through. I mean, when you talk about lost season finales are always ma- major affairs, you know, two hours long, like a, like a movie. I think this one really did play like a movie. It this did. one kind of had that depth that strength that uh, that momentum i like that word here at the, the end emotional of highs and lows mm-hmm. just the joy that jack feels when he finally contacts hurley mm-hmm. and he realizes that everybody is still okay versus how jack feels just the the pain that he feels when he after he runs across the obituary right and just just the juxtaposition position of that and you know jack is not someone that you would expect to get to the point of wanting to commit suicide although it is a point that right. we see john Locke reach and yeah just that combination between the triumph and everyone cheering that you know we're on our way we can get a fix on your location to where it ends up i thought that you know definitely very powerful stuff but you know now that we know that it was a big twist and we know what's coming it's interesting to think Think about what clues they might have dropped to tell us that this was a flash forward right. going into it. Um, the phone, Jack's uh, Motorola Razor. Right, right. Actually, it was during the master classes on Lost uh-huh. where the prop guy said, well, actually, they were off by a month or so. But still, yes, that was one clue. The phone was too new. Um, it was a very brief you know, moment before you actually see Kate, which is the big WTF moment, but she's driving a brand new yes. Volvo. Yeah. So you know that's certainly not before 2004. I kind of picked up on uh, the head of security, not the head of security, the head, head of surgery. Yeah, yeah, Rob says, uh, you know, you're already the hero twice over. Mm-hmm. And, and already and you're actually the man in the pharmacy says it also. Really? Yeah. yeah. And so the question is, you know, you're saying, what was it? He rescued the woman from the rescued the woman from the crash on the bridge. But because you're thinking it's a flashback, it couldn't have possibly included helping anybody, you know, on the crash of 815. But that, in fact, mm-hmm. was the case. So I definitely like those little things. Um, of course, this episode is the one that brought the long discussed, long dreaded death of Charlie Pace. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of any character's death being predicted on the show and discussed as part of the plot, he had the longest runway of everybody, of right. anybody. Now that you've seen it again a, a number of times, how did it hit you? I think I was okay until he crossed himself. And still, that just gets the water 
waterworks going. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you tend to see him then as a choir boy, as a sweet little kid, you know? And that really oh. makes you realize what he was and what he is now, and it makes it even sadder. Yeah, you know, I mean, again, I think Charlie did benefit from having this opportunity to redeem himself and to kind of demonstrate his character. He was so witty and funny mm-hmm. and so caring and soft, and so I think he had a pretty good sign-off as, as, as they go, but I still am bothered, and I think we're going to get to this more in You All Everybody. I don't think necessarily mechanically his death was handled well. No, I mean, no. You figure he could have just closed the door after he ran through it. And in fact, even if he left the door open, how long do you think it would take for that whole looking glass open chamber to fill it with water? I mean, yeah, a I couple know. of hours at least. I know. The thing that helps me suspend my disbelief is that he really felt like he was sacrificing himself for Claire's well-being. Right. He really had it in his mind because of Desmond that, this that had he to had to do this. I can see that. That's true. Now, there was that line, you know, uh, you have to punch in these numbers. He couldn't get the numbers. And she says that it's a song because it was programmed by a musician. musician. Now, of course, many people, when that was first said, well, isn't that ironic or unusual? I mean, what, how, how weird is it that the person that has to punch in the code to stop the jamming signal happens to also be a musician? And now, though, with the season five eyes where time travel enters into things, I think that a lot of people, I think, have the theory that that was Charlie. Yeah, I, I think that seems pretty reasonable now. At the time, I didn't think so. But but now, absolutely, it could po- it, it's absolutely plausible. Now, do you think that that's one of the things that they'll have time for us in season six to get to? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Maybe that'll be somewhere further down the line when they when they do the novelizations or something like I that. I don't know. Now, um, a lot of other characters, this was largely a Jack story. Well, I, let me ask you this. You know, again, we talked about the juxtaposition of really resolute, I'm going to get this job done, I'm going to get my people, rescue Jack, and then you have stumbling around, very uh, drunk and disoriented Jack. And we spent a lot of season five complaining about Jack, like, you know, he's sort of the laissez-faire kind of dull Jack. So which Jack was that in season five? Is it the resolute Jack or was it the mis- you know lost and, and without direction Jack? I, I think he kind of was... I, I think this Jack is the same Jack that we see at the end of season five. When he comes. He's kind of adrift. He doesn't know what he's doing. He he thinks he doesn't have any purpose when, when he actually does. But I got to say one thing. Seeing Jack this episode through season five eyes, he really scared me. He was a very scary person very unstable you know he's he's obviously under the influence he's not somebody i would have wanted to run into in the hospital right so in, in season five he's not quite that dark but i think there is a little more depth to his character than i maybe gave him credit for during that season so right. yeah, again this this episode kind of helped with that um you meanwhile seem to develop some sympathy for ben in this episode i think this episode contained the most instances of ben telling the truth ever <laughs> and it's in this episode where he suffers the most especially at Jack's hands. Right, He's well. really badly beaten by Jack. But, you know, we had it coming. We well, he sorta of did, but we know that a lot of what he said in this episode is true. True, true. Um, I, I found it fascinating when he has that conversation with Alex, who's someone that I wouldn't anticipate he would be so quick to lie or come up with a lie for. And when, when she asks, why can't you just let them get off the island? What's the big deal? He says, because I can't. And I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's, I'm not sure if that's proven to be true in what we see unfold, but I think that regardless of what his motivations are or if he's trying to protect the island from the outside forces, I really think that he feels 
that it's important for everybody that's there stay on the island, and certainly things go badly for those that get off the island. And I mean, he makes that statement within a few sentences of him telling Alex that he kidnapped Carl and stuck him in the brainwashing room because right. he didn't want um, he didn't want pregnant. Carl to get her pregnant. And you know, I think that point when he's talking to Alex and he realizes that Alex betrayed him he's at his most vulnerable right and you know again Alex isn't is a character that I am sorry to see leave Um, and especially I guess we should talk about the reunification briefly here with Danielle that cracks that scene cracks (laughs) me up every time you know it's supposed to be a very emotional tender moment you know it is A, a woman being reunited with her daughter that she hasn't seen in 16 years and the first thing she says to Alex is, help me tie him up. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fitting. I think that, but again, it definitely is a laugh out loud moment. And it's sort of a bittersweet kind of moment. And what I kind of, what what really I remember the first time we saw this is, of course, when you see Alex and you realize that she's Danielle's daughter, is that, oh, what great casting. You know, I think that yeah. the two of them were great, were, were perfectly cast both in their looks and in the way they carry themselves, the kind of fire in their eyes. But when you finally get them together in that scene, it was. It was a very strong one. And I am sorry to have seen Alex die, but, you know, as we were just talking about Ben and how he actually kind of might have a vulnerability to him, that was the only way that they were going to demonstrate that for Ben's character. So right. I guess that kind of had to happen. Now, this episode does introduce uh, or kind of cover the big mystery that, in fact, we have to wait until the end of season four. It doesn't get answered mm-hmm. at the start of season four. It gets answered at the end of the next season of Lost, which is, who is this Jeremy Bentham character you mm-hmm. know who's the funeral that Jack wanted Kate to show up at who is it in the box and when you get down to it it reminded me of that scene in season five where you know they're asking about who's in the big metal box uh-huh, uh-huh. they do the exact same cheap trick with us here because the funeral director says to Jack would you like me to open up the coffin and of course Jack says no uh-huh. and you're like yes open the box <laughs> who's in the box they did the, i just remember that exact same sensation during you know it feels five. like fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me it right. feels like that you they know they did that to us before and and now now i'm on to you guys i mean i, I hope <laughs> there better not be a box that does not get opened for all of season six that's a, oh no there's the guitar case they're gonna do it again (laughs) but all right all right we're along for the ride what can i say now um there's some good i guess i don't know how to put this shipper moments in this episode i know Mm. you really don't like to talk about this well come on i mean what really stands out is uh juliet and sawyer scenes when they're trekking back to the beach they're so made for each other i mean (laughs) i know i'm gonna make a lot of people angry when i say this but they're my ship if i have to root for a couple they're the couple i'm rooting for just because they're they're so alike you know they're both wise asses at heart they're both very smart and you know they're really cute together i just love that line you know so are you screwing up no are you i just i just <laughs> and the I look on his that. face after she says that he like, knows he's met his match exactly that's the part it's those it's that it's the fact that they have a great deal of respect for each other but what was kind of curious was of course that scene follows um that mysterious sort of parting between juliet and jack where juliet plants one on jack and says uh-huh. you know you don't do anything stupid if i don't and then smooch and of course kate sees that whole thing now so what was that about she's tr- she's totally trying to get into kate's head she's just doing she's that she's just trying to egg her on you really think so yeah i don't i don't i never felt like there was any connection between juliet and jack really? i think maybe there was when she first got there mm. but I think even Juliet knew that there was still some unfinished business between Kate and Jack. Right. Well, 
Well, I mean, I think there's some of that possibly, but this isn't the last time that Juliet and Jack smooch. Um, in season four, there's uh, the other woman where it's a Juliet episode. There's kind of that weird, you know, the, the Juliet that I'm not fond of. But in any case, you know, she's with Jack and they're at the uh, chemical warfare station. And oh. I think Kate goes in and Juliet confesses her feelings for Jack and there's a smooch there. So, oh, I mean, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's clear that Juliet does indeed have feelings for Jack. So that's why she probably gives him a kiss here. In addition, of course, to the fact that Kate's watching them. I mean, <laughs> and it's surreal that Jack puts up with that. And then Jack is defending Sawyer. And then he tells Kate that he loves her. Uh-huh. So, I mean, there's just this whole weird, you know, Mobius strip slash spaghetti pile of relationship stuff going on. And here. it is so messy, and that's why I don't really like it all that much. When we get into that, well, actually, you know what? We didn't even get to Sawyer. So, first of all, why is Sawyer so mopey? Why does Sawyer piss off Kate? Because he's not, you know, tuned in. What What is it that he's upset about? He's just found his life's purpose his life's purpose up until that point was to hunt down anthony cooper and kill him he's done it now what that's true i can see that the 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 thing that struck me was you know when he says that he's going to go back and kate has to stay that reminds me of the whole argument that cassidy gave kate as to why sawyer jumped out of the helicopter sawyer jumped out of the helicopter not to save you but because he couldn't figure out what he was going to do if he actually had to live with you right and so you know sawyer's trekking with kate toward the toward rescue and maybe he's also having that exact same kind of cold feet there and he goes you know what if i don't get out of this now i might get stuck with this one for the rest of my life i don't know i just i read it as he can't deal with an existential dilemma and relationship problems at the same time and it's just easier to to go back to help his friends i think so and i I do think that one of the themes that we have throughout loss to the point where you know we used to joke about kate saying i'm coming with you i'm coming with you Mm -hmm. there's a whole thing with you know don't come back for me don't come back for me and then of course Someone comes back for them. You know, Jack tells Kate, damn it, Kate, run. And then what does Kate do as soon as she gets to the beach camp? She comes back for him. And and the person's coming back always leads to something really bad. Right. I mean, uh, to some extent, it's just sort of the nature of narrative and keeping a dramatic story going. But it can almost be get a little comical. That's why mm-hmm. I, I did notice when uh, Saeed is leaving the beach or, you know, leading the, uh, the ambush and telling Jack, you need to go to this transmission tower. But Jack... Don't you dare come back. I'm willing to die, but not for nothing. Like, uh-huh. it almost like what he was reacting to was the fact that everybody has this tendency to unravel everything mm-hmm. by coming back for other people. So I did kind of pick up on that theme. Um, the, the, well, we, we mentioned the, uh, the ambush. How is it that it was Jin that couldn't hit the target? Because you know? he's the only one with a handgun. I mean, the other two guys had, had rifles. Maybe he just, I mean, maybe just the handgun threw him off. I don't really know. Well, we, we I mean, nobody else knows that, uh, you know, he has this history of violence or being a hitman and probably is relatively well-trained with a gun. But I just thought it was interesting choice by the writers that it would be him that misses, not mm-hmm. just once, but several times to hit his dynamite when Bernard the dentist, you know, turns out to be a pretty hot shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if they were being clever or not. Um, the, the, I did kind of find it fascinating when Jack is trying to reassure everybody she says, uh, he says, don't worry, everybody. Saeed is with your husband. Like, <laughs> Saeed is going to be the guy to save you. And I, I, Oh, if I were son, that wouldn't have reassured me because Saeed was in charge when the <laughs> boat was taken. Yes, exactly. So in any case, you know, just this sort of immediate assumption of Saeed's supremacy in kind of an armed environment. And again, <laughs> the fact that Bernard the dentist, who is not Rambo, turns out to have to be a pretty good shot like Rambo. 
Well, speaking of Bernard being a dentist and being Rambo, my favorite line ever. You say, live together, die alone to me, Jack. I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> right, right. I Rose. love that line. Well, and so here's the here's what I've always said about that line. We, we pick on it because, again, once it becomes cliche, uh-huh. cliche to the point where they comment on it being a cliche in the show that they can't use it anymore. So here's my question to you. Are we going to hear the phrase, live together, die alone in season six? In the finale. You think they're going to do it? Mm-hmm. You think they're going to pull it off? All right, yep. pinky betcha. Pinky bet. I think we'll make it through the whole season that they cannot possibly go to that well one more time. We'll see who's <laughs> going to win. All right. Now, this was also a good episode for Hurley, you got to say. Yeah. I mean, he, he's finally a hero after two really heartbreaking scenes where both Sawyer and Charlie tell him that he can't come along. Well, you know what I love about both of those scenes is that when Charlie says that Desmond is there watching and mm-hmm. when Sawyer is there, Juliet is there watching and it is clear to everybody that the reason why they're picking on Hurley and saying that you're too big, you're going to get in the way is that they're trying to protect him. I mean, the right. context is so clear. But he doesn't tra- know that. Right. But that's, yeah, the way that they do that is just, it's so heartbreaking but well done. But yes, Hurley has his moment in the sun and of course it involves the otherwise strangely introduced Dharma van uh-huh. that shows up and he he rescues them all. He he gets to tell Jack, yes, I saved him. I saved them all. So I thought that was pretty great. I think this is a foreshadowing of things to come. I think Hurley is going to be the person that either saves everybody and saves the universe or just delivers everybody to their destination, whatever that is. So you think that uh, Hurley is, again, the key to all of Lost? I believe so. I mean, it's such he's such an unlikely hero. They put him in such unlikely hero kind of light that you almost hope that he saves everybody well has he done any other big pivotal things for our characters or come to the rescue before i believe he is the first person to put it in a jack's head that they have to go back Hmm. That scene in the in the basketball court? Right, right. I can see that, possibly. But, of course, um, the, I think that if your life is falling apart after you leave the island, and even, I think, Locke foreshadows it as well and says that if you leave, you know, it's going to mess you up for good. You're gonna, It's going to be the, a big question. But Jack is the man of reason, and, and Hurley is the one person, I think, that can actually... Talk some sense into him that can then that can make can him see, that. see can what see he that. has to do. Well, you know, I, I like the idea of Hurley as the big hero or even the accidental hero to some extent, but I also think that Hurley's strength as a character has always been kind of the proxy for the audience. I think when he's yeah. most uh, enjoyable, if 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 somewhat uh, if somewhat cheesy in that way, is that he kind of speaks for us to some extent. I kind of think that that's the role that I'd like to see him fulfill more in season six because there are so many mysteries and so many things that they're going to have to cover in season six that there's obviously going to be some stuff that's not going to make it, right? There's going to be stuff on the cutting room floor that they just can't address. And if there's going to be any character who can be given one or two lines of dialogue each episode to dismiss one or two of these mysteries and just say, you know what, folks, we're done with that. Mm-hmm. It's got to be him. I mean, I can't yeah. think of anyone else to have that role. But that's a good point. So again, another prediction here that uh, Hurley is going to be significant, although that's probably true in any case. Um, I did want to kind of cover the fact that, you know, yes, I mentioned Jack was trying to kill himself. You know, suicide is mm-hmm. sort of a recurring theme. But we also have another near suicide in this episode. We have Locke, you know, he's 
at the bottom of the skeleton pit. He mm-hmm. finds a gun. He feels all hope is lost. He thinks he's paralyzed again when at the last moment, Walt shows up yeah. and he uh, says that you shouldn't do it. You know, you have more work to do. Uh, uh-huh. Well, at least taller ghost Walt. With uh, a deeper voice. Yes, but presumably recognizably to Locke at least as Walt. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, first of all, it makes me think of the, the other time we see Locke at that same point in life. You know, he's about to hang himself because he's failed on his mission off the island. Mm-hmm. And um, suddenly Ben shows up and says, your work's not done. Actually, things are in motion. There is success ahead for you. This mm-hmm. has to happen. Of course, in the end, Ben betrays him and strangles him to death. <laughs> so the question is, what's, what force, positive or negative, uh, Madden Black or Jacob, does Walt's appearance here serve? I don't know. I can't really say it's the man in black because Walt is still alive. You know, as far as we know, the man in black or Jacob or, or whoever it is is only possessing dead people. Right. Mostly, most likely the man in black or the, or the black smoke um, takes the bodies of dead people. We've discussed that a great deal. And yeah, Walt's not dead. Walt is still kicking around going to school in New York or all ultimately does. Mm-hmm. So that that can't, shouldn't be what we think we see there. But in any case, Locke sees him. Do you think it was uh, just a hallucination or a vision on his part? I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's a product of the time jumping. Maybe somehow past Walt is there with present Locke. I, I don't know. Well, the thing is that it has been said by Walt before, has he ever showed up someplace where he's not supposed to be? That's true. So I think to some extent that's their loophole for Walt, which is you know, this is just something that he does now and then, just sort of pops up. But again, you know, in terms of loophole, I think that this is probably the first, first overt sign that there is something nudging Locke towards something. But oh, in this absolutely. Case, yeah, but in this case, it's not toward good. It's not, or at least not to my understanding, that it's actually the start of getting Locke to where he needs to be to be the loophole for the man in black to kill Jacob. Right. But yeah, in any case, definitely interesting to see it with season five eyes. Anything else uh, about this episode jump out to you? Kate gets a rock in her shoe. Yes. More feet. Oh, yeah. I mean, injured feet. That's true. I mean, it seemed like more an excuse, I think, to stop and talk to Jack. But you're right. I mean, there's sort of this injury or discomfort involving feet. And it's kind of interesting, I guess, that it happens to Kate. I mean, I didn't even realize how many times it happened, how many times it happened until this season. Right. And it's just so obvious, you know, a character just stops and, oh, there's something in my foot. Right, right. Um, One thing that I kind of found myself thinking more about is in this episode, there's a brief conversation about uh, Kate getting pregnant. Kate tells Sawyer. Mm-hmm. That the, you know they were going to check that I was maybe I was pregnant and you know Sawyer says well let's hope you're not but we're thinking we were thinking about that most in a shipper sense but we were discussing the possibility of Kate being pregnant mm-hmm. quite a bit during season five especially when it turns out that she and Jack were in a kind of domestic relationship yeah. and then she shows up at the place right before the flight and I'm wondering do you think that uh, in terms of the arc of her character and in what's in the time left that we have for season six that pregnancy is something in store for Kate. Possibly. I mean, given the timelines that they're in and the places they are now, I don't really know. It, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, would she be pregnant in the 77 or? Right. Well, I mean, I think maybe not to the extent that she did have her opportunity to have a maternal instinct with the whole Aaron thing. Uh-huh. So maybe that just, just sort of played out for her. But again, you know, I, when, when that came up, I just remembered how many conversations we had about Kate possibly being pregnant. Now, now here's a scene that I needed you to try and explain to me. Now, it was, of course, a great moment when we realized that despite the fact that Ben had that countdown and we heard the three gunshots uh-huh. go off, and we think that uh, G- uh, Jin, Bernard, and... Uh, uh, Saeed were shot uh-huh. that they're not dead and there's that brief argument between Tom and Ryan uh-huh. about you know why do we let them live and 
I, I took away from that that one of the two of them, you know, uh, disobeyed one of Ben's orders, and that's why they were arguing because they were supposed to kill them, but they didn't. No. But you're saying that it was always Ben's plan to not have them get shot. When well, that confuses me too because we don't see the scene where Ben says, "Don't kill them." I mean, Ryan says that it was Ben's orders, and. Tom says, well, he's crazy. We should have killed them. Look what they did to us. Right. I, I completely misheard that conversation the first time around. So it was a rich, It was always Ben's plan to not kill them, at least right. from the constant. Okay, sure, we don't hear the conversation where Ben tells them don't really kill them. But I think it's safe to assume that that was what we were intended to take away from that. Yeah, but, but why? It yeah, doesn't make I, any sense. I mean, just I, I guess just so that he has leverage without actually having blood on his hands. I don't really know why he would do that. Yeah, now that you, you now that I see it that way, it makes much less sense to me because it is just before then when he dispatches this mission in the first place that it's uh, that he says that if any men get in your way kill them like yeah there, there's no thought in his mind that killing them is gonna be a bad thing and yes you're right that at least when he thought that he could talk jack out of the satellite phone that he was using them as leverage but if jack thinks they're dead he can't pull it a second time can he i mean again right. so sort of that scene kind of confused me a little bit but it was definitely uh, a fun conversation to keep us up a little late that night um anything else obviously they couldn't get fisher stevens to be minkowski on the phone because they didn't realize that Fisher Stevens was going to be Minkowski. <laughs> right, right. But now it's really, really obvious that it isn't Fisher Stevens. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Fisher Stevens, for one, has a very distinctive voice. Mm -hmm. And also the person that is Minkowski on the phone has almost like a, a East East Coast accent. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. completely, completely different. But yes, that, it, that was kind of amusing. Although I guess you could sort of say that maybe it wasn't Minkowski or it was someone pretending to be Miss Minkowski because Minkowski wasn't well, available to the talk. the first time that we see Minkowski on the ship he's in the loony bin right right so i think maybe somebody else was standing in especially if they know that it's not naomi on the other end they wouldn't uh -huh. know so in any case uh but it's more fun to just sort of pick up that yes this is what happens when casting has to happen between seasons <laughs> very good episode very much worth revisiting this and the yeah. entire season three of Absolutely. lost and we've rambled on now for over 20 minutes so i think it's time to hear from someone else we'll take a quick break and then we'll hear from you all everybody <laughs> Hey, Ryan and Jim, this is uh, Gary from uh, Tennessee. Love the show. Uh, just calling with uh, some feedback on uh, the last episode of uh, Season 3 through The Looking Glass. I just want to start out by saying that when I first started, I just started watching Lost right before Season 5 started, so I didn't have to wait the uh, whole summer and winter between Season 3 and 4 to uh, see what happens after that jaw-dropping ending. Yeah, uh, the amount of time I took in between episodes is the amount of time I could to me go down to Best Buy and go get the Season 4 DVD. So I didn't have to wait like y'all did. But, uh, yeah, man, that's the great, probably the favorite episode of uh, Lost because of that ending. It's just mind-blowing. It's one of, uh, come let you know that. Bye. Great show. Keep up the work. Bye. Why, Charlie? Why? Why? <sighs> I was already welling up with tears when he made the sign of the cross, and that just pushed me right over the edge. The good news is, I think we can expect Charlie back in season six as the musician who programs good vibrations into the jamming equipment in the looking glass. What do you think? 
Thanks for your podcast. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. Uh, Gary from Tennessee, I love that. <laughs> he didn't have to wait all summer. He just had to take the drive down to Best Buy to get it. But <laughs> it, I think it's great to know that even somebody who barreled through all of Lost, still in that experience, picks out through the looking glasses one of the, the best episodes ever. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And Christine in Ohio has the exact same moment that just got the waterworks starting yeah, the, with Yeah, the sign of the cross. <laughs> I guess, you know, maybe it's that Catholic upbringing that maybe. just sort of gives it that extra power. Well, let's move on to some more feedback. Roy writes, this is the episode that rehooked me that made me know that this show was going somewhere. I remember having to keep quiet when my wife watched it later on tape since she'd been sleeping. I was so blown away by the ending, screwing with my head. Wait, Jack knew Kate before the island? Oh, wait, no, this is after the island. Then thud. Keeping that secret for a day was hard. Now, I never stopped watching completely, but Lost had stopped being a priority for either of us. In fact, I missed Flashes Before My Eyes completely and had to go back and see it after the constant as my wife kept making references during that episode that I didn't understand. But to know that rescue was not only possible, but would happen, and that it wouldn't be good enough, that changed the game. Absolutely. It's good to know that this episode sucked someone all the way back in. <laughs> and, you know, it was the, actually it was the first episode of season four that got us back to podcasts. Yes, so it was. This is a high point for the show indeed. Nate in Ohio writes, Of all the reasons we expect so much from the series finale in May, this episode is the biggest reason why. The heights it achieves in tugging at every emotion far surpasses every other season finale and episode in general. I know I haven't seen every hour of scripted drama in television history, but I find it hard to believe any two hours of TV watching could have ever been better spent. There's plenty of thrilling action sequences and affecting character moments. Through the Looking Glass brought us our saddest and most touching death and the perfect brilliance of juxtaposing Jack's highest high with his heartbreaking lowest low. And the reveal of the flash forward at the end was jaw-dropping and stunning in a way that only great storytelling can produce. I am hopeful for a satisfying conclusion to our story just like every other Lost fan, but I don't expect the finale to top Through the Looking Glass, Damon and Carlton's masterpiece. I don't know. I think they still pr- have some pretty cool stuff up their sleeves. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure if I'd be entirely happy if Through the Looking Glass was the best it got. No. Um, I think they've got a lot more to, to, to give us. But I definitely like this testimonial to that episode. Yeah. Chris writes, if I ever have to look at Harry drugged out Jack again, I'm going to dive into a flooded underwater Dharma station. Yuck. I love the Jack who told Kate he was sticking up for Sawyer because I love you, but can't stand the Jack who trips over a rack of sunglasses when he can't get his fake prescription filled. Season six surely will bring us back to the Jack we all love. I'd also like to show some recognition for my other favorite hero in this episode, Hurley. Attention others, come in others, I just want to know we got you bastards. <laughs> Hurley rarely uses curse words, so you know he's all fired up when he does. I'm so proud of Hurley for being so courageous in this episode. He saved him, he saved them all. Ah yes, we all love Hurley. Great moment, and <laughs> Harry drugged out Jack. Definitely not our favorite no. Jack. And uh, I want to say congratulations to Chris as well. Um, she said that she just found her podcast, caught, caught up on all our old episodes while uh-huh. walking, and she lost 15 pounds already. Wow, that's cool. There you go, the transmission diet. It worked for her. (laughs) All right, Taylor writes, I know a lot of people didn't care for Charlie that much as a character. He was a little shallow compared to some of the others' losties. But as a musician, I really enjoyed his character. In fact, his character is what got me into the show in the first place. I don't know if I would have made it past the pilot if not for him, and I never would have seen Walkabout and would not have been the devoted Lost fan that I am today. That said, I really feel that his death was not handled as well as it should have been. They 
knew it was coming for a long time. They hinted at it for most of season three. And yet, there is no logical reason for him to have died in that way. He could have easily made it out and swam to shore. Also, I wish we had a good explanation for him saying, I don't swim in season one, and then being a champion swimmer in season three. Well, he, I think the key thing is, I don't swim. And at that point, he was still under the influence. He had taken heroin um on the plane i think he was really scared and wasn't willing to risk his life in that way at that particular point that's my interpretation i I think i mean i personally think that it was just a writing mistake but i think that it's a it's perfectly reasonable to say that you know what that old charlie was a coward yeah you know that old charlie probably didn't want to get involved and said hey i don't swim you know like i don't choose to swim not that i just necessarily can't swim but it's a fair point and a lot of people feel the same way about specifically the mechanics of how his death was handled connor from mississippi writes i am just now watching season three of lost for the first time and was struck by a scene near the end of the season finale charlie could have saved himself instead of closing himself into the room and drowning like he did couldn't he have simply closed the door behind him and have been fine it seems to me that Charlie thought he had to close himself in and die, and die because Desmond had told him that that was his fate, when in reality it could have happened another way. Right. And Dennis from Oak Park, Illinois, had a very similar thought. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I think, you know, one of the downsides of when you overthink something. I mean, yeah. when you're when you're in the heat of the moment and you're watching Charlie fulfill his fate and unfortunately passing away, it is a dramatic moment. It makes you cry. But you think about it too much. And I think mm-hmm. actually for many of our characters' fates, unfortunately, that if you do pick it apart, you're like, why didn't he go out the window after Mikhail? Why didn't he close the door after he, <laughs> instead of, you know, after he ran through it? But in any case, I think it's fair to say that uh, he just I think that what people are saying is that he felt he had to do it so that's why he did it yeah I kind of like that unfortunately not everyone feels that way Harold writes Charlie is a moron I so dislike that character I never much liked him and I didn't feel he was vindicated in greatest hits when Mikhail blows the window he should have just turned around and run he could have closed and sealed the door feeling that there would have been enough time to grab a tank for himself as Desmond presumably already had them and even if they couldn't get to tanks they could still swim up but no he locks himself in and kills himself and to what end to save the station from being flooded Charlie's death is so unnecessary illogical and unbelievable that it actually spoiled my enjoyment of re-watching this finale this time but despite my problem with charlie's needless death the finale of the finale was great what a phenomenal (laughs) setup for the next season and indeed for the rest of the series's life there you go so not a fan of charlie but still like the episode bonita in atlanta writes hooray for hurley and the dharma van shame on bernard for squealing holy shimoli to sawyer and saeed and jen for their part in taking out the others Boodle lock for killing Naomi. I mean, it was amazingly dramatic, but it follows a long, drawn-out manipulation by Locke to have someone else do his dirty work. Hmm. Very poignant that Jack caused the accident that made him a hero. This theme played out heavily in the following season. You know, actually, that's a good point that Bonita makes about Locke throwing the knife and killing, you know, Naomi when uh-huh. he couldn't bring himself to kill the person that he would be the most motivated, I think. Right, right. Why would he be more motivated by the island than his own personal demons? I guess that might be kind of a point. Well, two locks, (laughs) that's all I'm saying. You still think that we're we're way into two lock territory? I believe so. (laughs) Right. Jen in Chicago writes, In my opinion, this was the best of all the finales, though season four is a close second. In addition to the mind-blowing ending, the actual composition of the finale was fantastic. I just love the complete transformation we see of 
been from the beginning of the season to the end. He is just completely stripped of his authority, manipulative ability, and capacity to lie. At the beginning of season three, he was so adamant about being an honest man of complete integrity. In the final few episodes, however, he is so defeated that he openly admits to being a liar, both about the flooded looking glass station and being born on the island. Tom's disobedience is completely believable after seeing how powerless Ben has become. Poor Ben. He's got a lot of bloody noses and swollen lips ahead of him. Yep. That's <laughs> a well-employed makeup department. Absolutely. He, he gets beat up, I think, more than anybody on the show. Joshua B. in Saskatchewan writes, I am a big fan of Lost Finales as a whole, but Through the Looking Glass might just be my favorite ending to any of the first five seasons. Its relentless pace, in addition to great character moments and the mind-blowing ending, make it a thoroughly exhilarating experience. Seeing Jack finally beat Ben to a pulp felt like one of the biggest screw-you moments of the series, (laughs) and the look on his face when they make contact with the freighter was pure vindictive glee. However, knowing now what is to come, I felt genuinely bad for Ben in this scene because it was the one time he was telling the truth. I guess Ben is the boy who cried, we're the good guys. Right. You know, more unfortunately, I guess when Ben tries to do the right (laughs) thing, it doesn't work out for him. What what can you expect? Paul writes, In this episode, we saw our first indications that Jack will turn around in his belief in fate and destiny and become more like Locke, the man that he spent so much time arguing against. We see off the island that Jack is a broken man whose despair drives him to the point that he's willing to kill himself, and just before Jack leaps to his death, the island or fate steps in and a car accident stops him. Also, knowing what we know now, it was interesting the way Ben tries to convince Jack not to call the freighter. Ben, the habitual liar, essentially tells the truth as he knows it about why Jack shouldn't make the call. And did any of his other plans fail so spectacularly? Ben gets beaten and tied up, the freighter is called, many people die, he loses his leadership and more importantly his daughter, and then ends up off the island. I guess he should stick with lying. Yeah, poor Ben. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> a lot of people are, again, really feeling for the guy, despite everything that he's done. Gavin in Pearl City writes, The season three finale was my favorite finale upon first viewing, but I find it less satisfying now after watching through to season five. Part of that is because I know about the flash forward twist, and part of it is because Jack's behavior doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The first time I saw this episode, I thought Jack was a mess because he felt guilty about leaving some people behind or because he did something really bad to force his way off the island. But apparently, he wants to go back to the island so that he can detonate a bomb and reset the timeline so that he never has to meet Kate? Really? <laughs> Sorry, I don't buy it, but I have faith that season six will give a satisfying resolution. Well, we have the same faith, but uh, Blue Dog 1121 has a similar thought. I love the reveal in the finale. It's shocking. Having said that, though, the one point in Jack's flash forward that I really have a problem with is the argument Jack has with the other doctor in the hospital. He tells him that his dad is right upstairs, and if Jack is drunker than Christian, blah, blah, blah. Christian has been dead so far for three years. Could Jack really be so drunk or high enough that he doesn't realize when he is? Doesn't he remember his father's death? I feel like the writers threw those lines in as a major red herring, and it's kind of cheap. I think he was just being sarcastic. I mean, I no. think... No? You think he was just messing with him like that? He was messing with the other doctor? No, I mean, he realizes that the other doctor knows that Christian is dead and that he can't go talk to Christian. Well, I mean, I personally think... I personally agree with those that say that that line was kind of just the writers having to throw us off the you know, off the case uh-huh. that if anybody was beginning to have suspicions that this was after the island, that that snaps them back into the line. But um, Nate in Ohio on the blog kind of answers these points and says, you know, actually, if you go through the full timeline, as we see it through season four and season uh-huh. five, Jack 
did see his father upstairs. Jack has that weird encounter in the hallway when he's trying to oh, get right, drugs right, from the other, right. the female doctor. Yeah. And he sees, you know, Christian sitting there on the couch. So, you know, already he's clearly unstable. He's not doing well. And if he does have these weird hauntings by his dad, then why doesn't he at that point in his rage and frustration say, go talk to my dad upstairs? So uh-huh. That could be one way to explain it. Jesse writes, in the first hour, Ben has a discussion with Mikhail about why he's jamming signals off the islands. Three possibilities as a result. One, Ben jammed the island's transmissions for his own personal gain, but I have no idea what that would be. Two, Ben has been receiving orders from Richard, who has been in contact with Jacob and is indeed blocking the signals for some reason. Or three, my favorite idea, Ben has only ever been in contact with anti-Jacob or the man in black, since he admits to never actually having seen Jacob. This man in black had him block the island's communications so no one else could come there because, just like we saw in the first scene of season five's finale, he dislikes when Jacob brings people to the island. If they can't find it, after all, he can't bring them. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Well, I think many people are of the opinion that that for a, the lo- for a long period of time where a number of people thought Jacob was in Jacob's uh-huh. cabin, that it was this other character, that it was his right. nemesis. And I think that kind of follows with this whole conversation where, you know, Ben is kind of black, that there's a reason it matches why Ben would um, block the transmissions in that case. Yeah. The only reason why I can see it kind of being the other way is that we also have seen throughout the series, and especially in this season, the mention that Jacob does not like technology. You know, mm-hmm. Jacob does doesn't like um, flashlights, you know, doesn't like uh, electricity. So that could be another reason why he doesn't want the use of this technology or for people to come and go from the island because, as, as has been said, that's cheating. You know, that's right. not the higher purpose of the island. So I think it could go either way, but definitely a good thought. Carol writes, one of my favorite episodes, it made up for the cage episodes. <laughs> it stands up after multiple viewings and still evokes a lot of emotional feelings while watching it. Was Matthew Fox nominated for anything for this episode? He was outstanding in it. His despair, his frustration, and his determination were all well acted. One standout moment was his scene with Ben when Ben threatens to kill Jin, Bernard, and Saeed. You could feel his indecision, his horror, and helplessness. I now wonder if Ben kept them alive because he knew they had to travel back to Dharma in 1977. Mm. But then again, he knows that Saeed tried to kill him, so why not get rid of him now? The whole time travel dilemma still gives me a headache. Right. I mean, I think if Ben is acting at this point with knowledge of what happens in the future, which is actually what happens in the past, then it just gets way out of whack. And yeah, I, I, I mean, can't. Yeah. And I think they've basically explained away that he's forgotten anything if at least involved involving getting shot and Saeed having a, a role in that. So that necessarily wouldn't be the case. But I definitely, you know, when uh, Carol mentions Matthew Fox's acting, he has some really powerful moments throughout the series. This is, That was definitely one of them. And it immediately brings to mind the other one where I thought that Jack, uh, Matthew Fox really outdid himself, which was actually kind of an understated scene, which is when he finds out about Claire being his... Uh, his sister. Uh-huh. I think, again, you know, there are some points where Matthew Fox definitely does distinguish himself. I yeah, don't think he was he nominated, does. but uh, that was a strong one. Carrie in Pittsburgh writes, I always found it so interesting that Josh Holloway and Elizabeth Mitchell were actually worried about their pairing as a couple. I thought there was tremendous chemistry between them in this episode. I remember thinking when I first watched it, here we go with a love quadrangle. I am glad it never happened that way, though. I felt the exchanges between them on their trek back to the beach were spot on. Yeah. I also have been rewatching 
season five again, and the chemistry between them was fantastic in the early episodes. I was not surprised at all when the reveal was made in Lafleur. I also couldn't have been happier. Even with Juliet's whining in the season five finale, they are still one of the best couples ever on Lost, and maybe only Penny and Desmond could rival them for me. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm a Juliet, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Jan from France writes, at the end of season two, the polar guys found the island because of a magnetic error due to the hatch. Who do they call? Penny. Yet the freighter is not Penny's boat. So the connection has never quite been explained. Well, Penny working for Widmore on this subject seems to be the consensus answer, but it would be nice if we could have more information about that, especially since we have never seen Penny and Widmore together and their relationship doesn't seem to be the nicest one ever. But there is an even bigger question there. What was the communication between the island and Penny? She asks how he got the frequency, which means it's not her who called the island, but rather the opposite. Why? How? What was that all about? My opinion in the looking glass, good vibration was to send a message to Woodmore to tell him that something went wrong. Okay. Well, first of all, yeah, I mean, I, I had to go back and, and look at it. It's true. Penny is asking, you know, how did you contact me? Right. But yet the button that blinks for Charlie says incoming transmission. That's true. So I, who called who is a perfectly reasonable question. Um, but it is also true that I don't think they've ever really explained what set all of these things into motion if it wasn't Penny specifically. I think the way that I saw it or the way I envisioned it is that um, Penny does have did have the initial coordinates from the polar station mm-hmm. and that Widmore kind of basically piggybacked on his daughter's research to find the island. And that's oh. sort of what that happened. But I kind of like what Jan's saying was that punching in good vibrations is not a way to turn off the signal, but was kind of like... Uh, you know, Naomi, when she says, tell, tell my, my sister, sister I, I love her. her. Exactly. Yeah. That it's a, actually a mayday call that kind of goes out. And for that, if that's the case, then punching in that number goes straight to Whitmore's, I guess, library, his study. And I guess uh-huh. there's a reasonable, you know, maybe she was there looking up information Which or something like that. Which makes the theory that Charlie programmed it even kind of more compelling. Really? How so? Well, just if they go back in time and the plane crashes and Charlie is still alive, he could have somehow been um, instrumental in placing that Mayday call to go out to have them rescued or something. I don't know. I haven't really <laughs> completely formed the theory yet. But I, I you know, the, the if it is, in fact, a Mayday call, I really think it could have been Charlie that did it. I see. Well, that's... I'm okay. Now I'm getting a headache as well as a sore throat, but I got to say, <laughs> d- thanks for getting us thinking, Yan. Keith in Boston finally writes, I'll never forget the moment right after Jack and Kate's runway cliffhanger when a switch flipped for me. From that moment, I turned from obsessive fan to lost evangelist. On a recommendation, I had watched the first three seasons on my own whilst on the elliptical trainer every day for six weeks. 42 minutes never went by so fast. But after watching the season three finale, I could no longer keep the wonderful ride to my my wife was instantly hooked as we rewatched from the pilot episode. Our friends and family were brought into the fray. We started hosting the weekly Lost Dinner Party, and I became my network's resident Lostologist. But equally as impressive as it was for people like me to get deeply obsessed, I was amazed at how it brought me closer to to people in completely different corners of life. Cheesy as it sounds, I credit Lost with bringing my family and friends closer together and allowing me to interact on a deep level with people I never would have otherwise. I'll bet many of us have similar stories about getting hooked and getting entrenched in the greater Lost community. 
Is it really over next year? Yeah. Wow. Well, we actually met Keith and his wife at the yes, HIP event. exactly. And what uh, Keith says is absolutely true. I mean, it is cheesy, I guess, but it's also us. Um, the show and its fan community is really one of its greatest uh, accomplishments. It puts us in touch with, as he says, people that in any other circumstance we would never be in touch with. And they're all so talented and creative and, and, smart. and funny and smart. <laughs> I feel honored just to be able to talk to people like that. Yeah, I mean, that. That it's, it's great that we kind of help provide some outlet kind of a hub for this but really the content the conversation the brilliance comes from everybody working together um, just the people that we've had lunch with over the last few years I mean people who are just passing through town they're on their yeah. own lost adventures and we'll meet up at Zippy's we'll introduce them to Zippy's Chili and we'll talk about Lost for an hour and uh, I wouldn't trade those, ex- those experiences for anything else no. so yeah I mean it's hard to believe that the show's almost over we do have the big Lost event coming up at the end of January and I look forward to meeting so many people during yeah, I, I, hopefully event. we're just going to fill a bus with other nerds and dorks just like, well, I mean, at least I'm a nerd and a dork. But, I, I you know, am too. Okay. I revel so in my dorkiness. We'll all have a big road trip and we'll just continue this adventure all the way through season six and who knows what'll come after that, but... It's a it's good stuff. Now, we really, really love all the feedback that we get, especially stories like Keith's there. And uh, we want to thank everybody for all of the feedback that you shared, even though we, of course, can't always include every piece of it in this podcast. Finally, we like to take a moment to specifically thank all the people who gave us really great feedback on the podcast over at iTunes. A big I'm a hollow to Silver Lurker, Televex, JRB and NC, Master WGS, Tommy J in Ohio, R. Pettis, Mobile Mommy, G-Man to Tango, Lilu Dallas, <laughs> Matt Loves Mrs. Hawking, Kevin Shea in Nicaragua, Steen Blue, Josie Rogers, No Beard SN, and Wino 39. I love a lot of these names. Lilu Dallas has got to be my favorite <laughs> this week. We also want to thank everyone, well over a hundred of you so far, who are participating in our Season 3 review, sending in emails, and therefore entering to win one of our special lost prizes. Just to remind you, we've got a limited edition Benjamin Linus bobblehead doll from Entertainment Earth. We've got a copy of the Season 3 and Season 4 albums from The Other's Lost Band. We've got a copy of the latest edition of Nikki Stafford's great book series, Finding Lost. We've got a Lost Season 5 Special Edition Dharma Initiation Kit DVD box set from Buena Vista Home Entertainment. And we've got rare swag from the Damon Carlton and a polarbear.com so-called ARG. And I just wanted to share, we got a great note from the hippie pink flamingo about The Other's Lost Band. Inspired by your show, I decided to get some great goodies from The Other's Lost Band who have a sale where things are either 4 8 15 16 23 or $42. <laughs> I ordered the $42 selection, which included the double three and four season CDs, the season five CD, a t-shirt, but more goodies. I just got home to a very snowy and very white Christmas in Texas. I also got a treat, My Other's Lost spam box complete with shirt stickers patch bag cds and buttons i even got a note and a signed cd so of course if you can't wait to win you can of course go to their website and pick up this stuff for yourself but i just thought it was kind of neat that uh, you know our show a lot of people have written in and said you know thanks for introducing us to that band they're in boston and mm-hmm. they do really great stuff we're going to hear from them in just a little bit but of course all of this stuff is great and it's all for you our beloved listeners and as promised we're going to name the winner and that, that's going to be by our daughter Katie picking names <laughs> out of a hat. We're going to name the winners in our first podcast.
podcast of 2010 that's in January leading up of course to the season six premiere now the way that we're going to do that is you know I was trying to wonder what would we do for that last podcast I put it out on Twitter I put it out on Facebook Mm -hmm. and hands down the number one topic for this last podcast for our hiatus is the questions what are the unanswered questions you want to see answered Mm -hmm. in season six so this is my call out to you if only three people contribute it'll be a three minute podcast if all of you contribute it'll be a nice long podcast but you can tell us what questions you want answered for season six and we're going to take a stab at kind of guessing what those answers might be you can provide your answers as well but if you just want to put it to us and put us on the spot just like some of the bets that we took here during our podcast (laughs) about what's going to happen in season six that's the way to do it so again just let us know what questions you want answered in 2010 for best results send your thoughts via email to lost at hawaiiup.com but you can also post it on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost or call and leave a message on the lost line at 815-310-0808. And that's 815-310-0808. We love to hear your voices. And I think, you know, again, if you don't want to have to hear this voice again, you should definitely put (laughs) your voice into the podcast. Now, coming up in about three minutes, the forward cabin. But first, as promised, a little musical interlude. Here's a song by the Others Lost Band, and it's based on the episode we just watched, Through the Looking Glass, the season finale of season three. The song is titled Flash Forward. Pack up your things and let's go for a hike. Three of us are staying behind to shoot tents loaded with dynamite and blow them all to hell. Safe bet beneath me on the wood 
Once I got home Tell John Locke He was right He was right I was wrong That was Flash Forward by The Other's Lost Band. It was based on Through the Looking Glass, the two-part season finale of season three. You can find more information about the band and hear more of their music over at myspace.com, The Other's Lost Band. And like the hippie pink flamingo, if you don't want to wait to win their music from us, you can go over there and buy some for yourself. All good stuff, great music. But of course, now that the song is over, it means it's spoiler time. So if you don't want to know, you might want to skip ahead. That's right. Now, Unfortunately, there was only one final week of filming for Lost in the last couple of weeks. They finished up work on the 18th. Of course, they did a lot of filming that last week up at Police Beach over several days. Um, there was a visiting fan. Actually, he's here over the Christmas break, and he's uh, his name is Blake, and he did stop by a couple of times, but they did a pretty good job of keeping folks a safe distance away. Uh, he definitely spotted uh, Sun, Locke, Ben, Jack, Hurley, Miles, Frank, Ilana, Alpert, and Widmore. Mm. Just coming and going and working at different times. Hard to say if they were all together or not, but it definitely seems like things are converging on the island. Now, intriguingly, on his last day there, they were putting up on the beach early in the morning basically these portable sonic fence. Now, you know the sonic fences, the pillars that Uh were in the jungle? They had portable ones on these tripods, and they were lined up, a a number of them, several of them, along the beach, little green round spheres that were held up on these tripods. And uh, so I guess there's still going to be some kind of force that needs to be kept at bay using Mm. those um, tripods. And um, a live journal user on the web, if you Google it, you'll find it, posted pictures of these these pylons on the beach, Uh and it was a scene with Locke in it and the question is is the uh, pylons there to keep Locke in or is it there to keep Locke out hmm. but uh, that's uh, the pretty much the question and definitely big thanks to Blake who you know did stick around quite a bit but apart from um, seeing them break you know for lunch or for the day didn't really get to see much filming but um, I'm sure he's still happy to be here <laughs> on the island now there were a couple of other location shoots and for one of them I got some great great stuff from Darren the pharmacist. Now, Darren is a lucky fan who, well, frankly, as he said, he won the lost lottery as far as a a trip to the island goes. Now, he was here for the Honolulu Marathon, but he did have a few days to wander around the island, and he found them filming in Kaneohe at the Ko'olau Golf Club. Now, they were there back in October, but they were back once again a couple of weeks ago. Now, the church, the the golf course is owned by the First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu, and as a result, they were um, very friendly. He was welcomed right in. There were some church people that were watching the action, and Darren got to join them. So 
He got to go into this ballroom area, and a church member pointed out that they were filming in the kitchen. So he peeked in, and he saw the kitchen set. He saw a giant butcher knife just prominently stabbed into the butcher's block, and uh, that just basically was his clue that some big stuff was going to happen. Now, the day's shoot was indeed for a fight scene, and on the set were Daniel Day Kim, or Jin, Yun Jin Kim, or Sun, Naveen Andrews, which is Saeed, Kevin Durand, which is Kimi, oh. Anthony Azizi, Omar, our friend. And Omar was, of course, spotted the last time we, we saw them working out there. And finally, Andrew Divoff, otherwise known as Mikhail, cool. everyone's one-eyed guy. But in this case, Mikhail looked quite young, and he had both of his eyes. And I have to say, Darren was very complimentary, had nothing but good things to say about the cast and crew. They were very courteous, very friendly. He got to take pictures with a number of them, but they did, you know, they told him when to move, when he could be there, when he couldn't be there, and just he just th- thought that they did a great job, and he was very fortunate to be able to stick around on the set. And actually, during the shoot, the cast was doing interviews with some visiting journalists, so he got to listen in on, on those. Um, the character, the actor who plays Kimi, actually had his fiance on set, and they were talking. Um, they're getting married in October, so congratulations to, uh, I guess, Kevin Durant there. Mm-hmm. Um, Omar, the actor who plays Omar, Anthony Azizi, so was talking about how he does his own stunts, and he actually did some work for the movie Eagle Eye, and uh, during that movie, he blew out his knee, so mm-hmm. it's kind of an issue you know, with his work now. Now, um, Yoon Jun Kim was talking about going back to Korea during the great the break, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, Darren got to chat with them quite a bit. He didn't see much of Naveen Andrews or Yoon Jin Kim. Presumably their shots were over before he showed up. But between shoots, Mikhail was uh, there. He was working with a dialogue coach to speak Korean. Um, now, he actually does speak several languages, but I guess Korean wasn't necessarily one of them. Um, and he also mentioned that he's not Russian, but he does have some Russian ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, Kimi and Omar, meanwhile, Darren says they were off on the side quite a bit, giggling like schoolboys watching YouTube clips on their <laughs> iPhone. And just something about seeing the image of those two yeah, tough guys just watching YouTube just really, I mean, hopefully it was like, you know, maybe cat movies or something like that. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, Darren says the makeup team was quite busy because, of course, it was a fight scene. Jin was made up to look very beat up. He got a bloody wound over his left eyebrow, but uh, I guess he got off easy because Kimi Kimi got a gunshot wound set up in his side, and Omar got a gunshot wound in his stomach, and Mm. it was pretty gory looking from what Darren said. Now, most intriguingly, though, Daniel Day Kim and Andrew Divoff, that's Jin and Mikhail, they spent a lot of time with a stunt coordinator practicing a fight and some gunplay. So in the scene that was being rehearsed, Jin grabs Mikhail and twists around, pulls his gun, and fires three times. And get this, according to Darren, the third shot gets Mikhail in the eye. No. So... Yes, Mikhail, in this world where he still had both his eyes, still loses that eye. But in this case, Jin is behind that unfortunate Whoa. injury. Cool. Now, the, the line was the fourth shot hits or the third shot hits him in the eye. 
But according to some other sources, the question is if it was a gunshot necessarily or maybe that knife comes into play. I'm not sure, but in either case, I'm pretty sure it was the gun, but in either case, Jin is responsible for making Mikhail the guy we all know and love He shot today. his eye out? Yeah, basically. You know, just like uh, the Christmas story. <laughs> it's a Christmas story here on Lost. It turns out to absolutely be true. Now, as far as Darren could tell, this is how the overall scene goes. Of course, they filmed it out of order, but he pieced it together, uh, he thinks. Uh, Mikhail is actually holding Sun hostage. Mikhail has a gun, and he's creeping around in a dark kitchen. He comes around a corner, and he finds Kimi already on the floor. He's shot, and uh, he leans down to check on him, and as he does that, Jin comes in and does the fight scene where there's a struggle, there's a bit of wrestling, and ultimately shoots Mikhail three times, and Mikhail falls to the ground. So, pretty dramatic stuff. Now, apparently in one of the takes, uh, when Mikhail falls, when the actor fell, they were actually worried that his jacket flew up and exposed his microphone. Oh, yeah. um, so they've had, they filmed that a few times. There was a lot of, of talk about that. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, at least as far as Darren said, you know, it's an intense fight scene, but when you pick it apart and you film it in a different parts it, it really doesn't quite have the same energy that it does have on screen um, but actually it gets better Darren actually got a souvenir during his visit to the set and it was yes folks a call sheet. Now, as you know, call sheets are very carefully guarded. They pass them out and take them back during shoots. Um, only one kind of surfaced really famously back during season right. three. Uh, I did a report on that, and that was a pretty significant thing. So these are pretty well protected. But uh, he got to pick another one up, um, and he shared it with me. And, of course, it's just this huge grid of all kinds of details, names and times, you know, wardrobe, uh, makeup, transportation, who gets picked up, who has to be where. Uh, but surprisingly and perhaps fortunately, there were not too many scandalous details on this call sheet. Just really a lot of numbers that show how complex an operation that Lost is every day that they shoot. But there was one new actor listed on the call sheet that we hadn't seen before, and his name is Larry Joshua. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, we had to actually look him up on um, IMDb. I guess basically he's a guy who's typecast as a cop, kind uh -huh. of the grizzled cop. He's been in several episodes of CSI. He's been on Law & Order. I guess his most prominent role was in 11 episodes of NYPD Blue as a character named Captain Clifford Bass. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you recognized his face, yeah. even though yeah. you didn't know the name. But in any case, he's going to be in this episode of Lost, this Sun and Jin episode. Mm -hmm. um, and specifically, it was for the next day's shoot. And uh, so to tell you a little bit about that, um, they were at a couple of places. I visited one. They were first at uh, Pier 2 in the Foreign Trade Zone. That's across from Restaurant Row. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I mentioned before, that plays um, an airport quite a bit. Most likely the uh, most likely the L.A. airport because the convention center has to be the Sydney airport right. now. But in any case, they were there in the morning and in the afternoon where I went. Uh, they were at the Bank of Hawaii on Merchant Street and um, basically was converted into a Korean bank. And although they filmed the scenes out of sequence, uh, it basically looks like this. You've got Sun and Jin. They go to the bank and they're there to take out a very large sum of money at mm -hmm. this Korean bank. And then when they went to Pier 2, they're basically stopped at airport customs because they're carrying this cash. Oh, and yeah. of course, at this point, that's where I guess Larry Joshua comes in. But in any case, a Sun and Jin episode, some fight sequences, Mikhail loses an eye, and uh, basically things are continuing to unfold off the island as well as on the island here awesome. for season six. Now, um, I did want to pass on a couple of other bits of uh, information that had come from that shoot at the golf course. Um, one of the stuntmen was talking about... Uh, 
They were really excited about work that's going to happen in January in just a few weeks after the holiday break. They were going to do some street driving, which they don't do very much of on Lost, so he was looking forward to that. But most specifically, the big stunt is of a car driving off a pier. Hmm. So that sounds pretty cool. I can't wait to find out more about that. Also, one of the members of the church that were there with Darren said that someone else in the congregation was actually cast as a scientist who was on the island. And specifically, this scientist, one of many apparently on the island, filmed a scene where basically he chased Sawyer. He's The scientists are chasing Sawyer and, cha- and Sawyer chasing him out to the beach. Uh-huh. So, I mean, good Lord, I mean, more science going on, probably more <laughs> of this experimentation going on um, but very interesting stuff and finally on Darren's last day he decided that he'd go up and check out Paradise Park that's up at uh, Manoa Manoa Falls Trail and uh, it happened to be a pretty good day for him there as well it turns out there's a guy that watches the parking lot up there I didn't even Uh know this and you should know this if you're going to be coming out to visit. Um, the guy in, who watches the parking lot for the park, you know, you you got to pay money to park there. But his name is Warren, and he's actually selling Dharma T-shirts. Like, really? not official Dharma T-shirts, but kind of fun Dharma T-shirts. But come on, it's a, it's a Hawaii Dharma shirt. It's uh-huh. basically a Dharma beer can, and it says, like, this Dharma's for you on it. So uh-huh. that was kind of cool. You know, Darren picked up a couple of those. But the interesting thing is, turns out this Warren fellow is not necessarily a fan of the show, but picks up a lot of information. Uh from other fans that are going by. A couple of things that he said. Um, Number one, um, I'm not sure if you recall, several podcasts ago, there was a discovery of a secondary camp being built up there. Mm -hmm. It's a very popular area of the Trail for Lost. That that was kind of where they put the door to the medical hatch. They've done a lot of trekking through the jungle scenes there. Mm -hmm. But for this one, they built basically a camp that we hadn't seen before out of like airplane parts and other things. And Uh um, so we weren't sure what that uh, camp was. According to Darren via Warren, that camp is actually Claire's camp. So in fact, we are actually going to see that set is where Claire has been all this time that she's been missing. Uh And the word that has been used to describe her time since we last saw her was wild. Mm. And I just kind of like that as far as Claire. Claire and wild certainly... Very tantalizing for the stories that we'll pick up here in season six. I personally, mm-hmm. now I kind of want to go out there and uh, visit Warren, maybe get ourselves a Dharma beer shirt. I don't know. <laughs> um, and of course, that's going to be a stop on our Destiny Calls Lost Locations tour, first and probably last. So again, if you can come down and join us here for the Sunset on the Beach premiere on the 30th, we've got a lot of great events uh, planned. Otherwise, you're going to get a lot of coverage, not just from our podcast, but from other podcasts and bloggers as well. <laughs> but that's getting beside the point. We're done done with the filming updates for this podcast and for the year so that means that's it for this episode of the transmission this show is powered by you so mm-hmm. please send us an email comment on the blog call the lost line post a note on itunes even tweet us on twitter we love hearing from you any way you do it absolutely and as we mentioned for our last podcast of this hiatus and actually our first podcast of 2010 leading up to the premiere of season six we want to know what are the questions that you want answered in the final season of Lost? What are the mysteries that you are the most curious about? Let us know what you want to know, and we'll give our best guesses as to what the answers are. And as Jen said, the way to do that is to email us at lost at hawaiiup.com, comment on our blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost, or call the Lost line at 815 310 
Of course, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Hawaii. And I'm at Mrs. Hawaii. I'm also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Jen Ozawa. And I'm Facebook.com slash Ozawa. Please uh, let us in a note when you friend us uh, that you're listening to the transmission. Yep. That'd be great. Haoli makahiki ho, everybody. Happy New Year. 2010 will be an incredible year for Lost, and we can't wait to spend it with you. Talk to you then, folks. Stay lost. Stay lost. Aloha. Aloha. I need a lost This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.